Hello, it's Simon and David from Robinson Ralph. Hello. Uh, hello, and welcome to uh, another um, podcast. This is uh, quite a um, unpleasant case, or a very unpleasant case, and it's the case of uh, P, the, the claimant wasn't named for reasons that will become clear, uh, PB Cress Nicholson Operations Limited, and um, the, the allegations in this uh, case were um, of harassment under Section 26 of the Equality Act 2010. Uh, the first one was that the respondent's employee referred uh, to as the site manager attempted to kiss the claimant on the 20th of November um, 2019 was traveling in a taxi from the respondent's Christmas party to the hotel at which the claimant was staying that evening and um, then raped the claimant in a hotel room on, on that same um, night and then there's a last one where he attempted to telephone and or message the claimant on the 16th of December 2019 um, and the question was not only were those acts of um, harassment um, uh, uh, under the act but also were that was the respondent liable um, for the acts of the site manager as being done in the course of his employment with the respondent yeah and the site manager was referred to as the site manager he wasn't named uh he didn't give evidence the tribunal said that had he done so they would have had to um give him a warning as to uh, his right not to incriminate himself so i understand from that that um part of the reason that he wasn't named and that didn't give evidence is that there's ongoing criminal proceedings mm. in relation to the uh, those matters that, that Simon just just mentioned uh, apparently neither party sorts to secure his uh, attendance yeah. um we can only speculate as to whether or not he still has a job with the, yeah. with the company um, I don't think that was that was covered in the in the judgment no. um so um just briefly talking about the law on this so section 26 of the Equality Act 2010 provides that um, a person a, a harasses another B if A engages unwanted character uh, one unwanted conduct related to a relevant protected characteristic in this case sex and the conduct is the purpose or effect of violating B's dignity uh, or creating an intimidating hostile degrading humiliating or offensive environment uh, for B A also harasses um, B if A engages in unwanted conduct of a sexual nature and the conduct is the purpose or effect referred to in, except, uh, in subsection 1b above the, the dignity and um, violation of dignity and creating an intimidating hostile, etc. environment. And the claimant's complaints of harassment in this case were pursued under the second one, and um, that's uh, they engaged in unwanted conduct of a sexual nature. And then the other relevant piece of um, a legislation is section 109 of the Equality Act, um, which states that anything done by a person that's A in the course of A's employment must also be treated as done by um, the employer. So, um, the, 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 I mean, there is discussion here, obviously, about what happened, um, and calling it harassment is is not any attempt to minimise what happened by just saying it's harassment, but it's just the legislation under which it's brought from the employment yeah, yeah. i mean in common parlance people use terms like harassment and victimization yeah. to mean um, a lot of things as yeah. an employment 
as employment lawyers, they mean specifically harassment under Section 26. And that is the basis on which the, the claim was brought. Um, any other labels for the conduct would be um, yeah. sort of put on it from a criminal law perspective rather than employment law yeah. um, perspective. But yes, it does rather seem to downplay it in a common parlance yeah. way, doesn't it? Oh, the yeah. harassment. Absolutely. So, um, so what we're not going to talk about is there's a second thing of discriminatory constructive dismissal where what, what we're so we're not going to be talking about that but what we are going to be talking about is the harassment and um um whether the employer was liable yeah. for for the behavior so the tribunal um spent a lot of time hearing submissions which they describe as eloquent um submissions very much like our podcasts very much very eloquent very very eloquent um, um yeah and it all stemmed from a, <clears throat> a christmas party yeah um you probably uh, won't be too surprised to learn um, on in November 2019 mm. uh, in in London, um, and it seems that this sign manager had um, engaged in some fairly objectionable behaviour throughout yeah. the evening, not only directed at the claimant but directed at a, uh, a female colleague of hers. Other aggressive behaviour directed at a male colleague. It's a wonder he wasn't ejected from the. Christmas party. Yeah. Um, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, um, the conclusion of the evening was that uh, allegation of of rape in the, the, the claimant's hotel room. Yeah. So, um, the, and then there's another bit in the, um, I think a, a few weeks later when he, when he tries to, um, or he does contact the claimant and tries to, to, to put pressure on her to withdraw the the allegations. So, so the key part of the judgment is really, for those of you who are interested, is really kind of paragraphs, but this part of it anyway, and um, the bit that we're talking about is really paragraphs 86 through to, to 89. And the case law set out, um, and the legal argument submissions are set out in the in the paragraphs from 73 to um to I think yeah, 80, 85. So um so, so yeah, so what the tribunal said was that um, they conclude that the ordinary layman would regard uh, as unrealistic any attempt to draw a distinction between the site manager's conduct of the party itself in the taxi shortly after leaving the party and subsequently in the hotel room. Um, they said that um, uh, by late afternoon, the 20th of November, the site manager embarked on a course of harassing conduct, albeit initially directed at another female employee, Ms. V., and I think when I read the papers, the, some a couple of the papers had said the claimant was identified as Ms. V throughout it. So they, I don't think they've read it properly. Ms. Ms. V is not the claimant. Um, P is the claimant. Ms. V is another uh, woman, another female employee entirely. Um, anyway, he he embarked initially uh, this this course of conduct with Ms. V. Um, and um, uh, they say that in terms of the overall circumstances, that might reasonably inform the ordinary layman's assessment of the site manager's, action, site manager's actions. It is relevant, we think, that the site manager persisted in his initial harassment of Ms. V and did so openly in front of others, notwithstanding Ms. V made clear to notice conduct was unwelcome. It was the start of a pattern of behaviour that day and in the following days, even after Ms. V physically moved away from the site manager when he would not stop harassing her, he, would, he still would not accept this as a clear indication that his conduct was unwelcome. Looked at objectively, the site manager's conduct evidences 
evidenced by late afternoon of sorry, evidence is that by late afternoon on 20th November 2019, he had ceased to respect Ms. V's dignity or the dignity of others who were witness to the behavior and he did not find it funny. Let's go back to your point, David, why he wasn't removed from the party. Um, he was engaged in a course of conduct that had, that had the, the tribunal said, both the purpose and the effect of creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating, and offensive environment of them, in spite of being made quite clear to him by Miss V and then by Mr. Cox, who was another site manager, that the conduct was entirely unwanted. Critically, when his conduct was challenged by Mr. Cox, um, a, a, the, the, the site manager became aggressive and threatened violence, and they said that was plainly harassment of Mr. Cox and evidence to the tribunal, an ongoing escalating pattern of aggressive, determined behaviour. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, in terms of the allegations themselves um, that Simon summarised at the outset, the tribunal upheld those, perhaps not surprisingly, given that the site manager uh, didn't give evidence, but that said, the tribunal didn't simply, without um sort of further examination, accept the claimant's evidence. Um, they did consider all of the evidence and took a, uh, a sort of critically analytical view uh, or, or approach to it. Um, but ultimately, having done that, they did uphold the, the allegations. Um, and then when it came to considering whether or not the company was liable for it, this is the, the, the part about drawing a distinction between the acts um, at the party and the acts post the party. And there was a case of uh, Livesey that was mentioned that referred to uh, a continuous course of conduct and it being totally unrealistic to draw any distinction between events which occurred at the party and those immediately um, afterwards. Uh, and um, the tribunal here took a similar view and said that the ordinary layman would regard the site manager's conduct in a taxi in the hotel room and thereafter on the 16th of December, which was the phone call, as the continuation of an, an in, uh, a continuation of and inextricably linked to the harassment that preceded it at the Piano Works bar on 28th of November 2019, even if that harassment was initially directed at Miss V and thereafter at Miss Cox. Uh, they said his conduct towards Miss V was aggressive, sexually predatory behaviour, and thereafter the site manager, manager exhibited the same aggressive and determined, indeed controlling, behaviour towards Mr Cox and the claimant and towards other colleagues insofar as he evidently felt that he could harass Miss V and threaten Mr Cox with impunity in front of them. In the same vein, he made advances to the claimant in the presence of the taxi driver. From beginning to end, the site manager was engaged in conduct that was unwanted, and which he knew to be unwanted. So, yeah, that that um, distinction, which uh, I suppose the company sought to draw between the Christmas party, which was perhaps plainly within the remit of the company's control, uh, and, and events occurring afterwards in a taxi and in a hotel room, the tribunal said, no, that's a completely um, artificial distinction. Uh, I mean, there will come a point in time, uh, the, so there will come a point at which, in a, in a hypothetical situation, there is a, a sufficient break in the chain between a works event and something occurring um, outside of it, of, of course. But um, it probably won't surprise you to, to learn that Christmas party events immediately following that, uh, I mean, they are essentially regarded as one in the same for the purposes of vicarious um, liability or certainly that will be the starting point um, for most tribunals. 
reminds me of the case where there was a post-Christmas party punch thrown by a managing director mm. towards a colleague, and in fact, former best friend, mm. I understand, uh, and um, it was post-Christmas party, but at a hotel bar. Uh, some of them had um, uh, chosen to, to, to stay at that hotel, so some of them were there. Um, some of them were there because the party was continuing there, and the company sought to argue that there wasn't a sufficiently close connection. Um, and uh, the court, as it was there, because it was a personal injury claim, held that there was a sufficiently close connection um, in part uh, because events immediately followed the Christmas party, also in part because the conversation that led to the punch had been about work matters. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it will be um, probably likely that it's going to be, you know, in a situ any sort of situation where you've got events following on from a work event, it's going to be fairly difficult, I think, as an employer to distinguish between um, the, 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 the work environment mm. where plainly acts are done in the course of employment um, and things that follow on from directly related work events where there's still that sort of working relationship at play and, and recognised. Now, that's not to say, obviously, don't have a Christmas party. Mm. Um, you know, you, if you employ... Or any party outside. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you employ people, you always run the risk that those people are going to um, misbehave or do uh, awful uh, things, of course. But, uh, you know, as us employment lawyers always like to remind people, particularly around Christmas, that the usual reminders about standards of conduct um, applying, as they would in the workplace, yeah. is usually a good reminder to, to give to people. Yeah, uh, well, I, well, it's funny you should say that, Dave, because the, the tribunal seem to agree with you. And um, the tribunal say that in our judgment, an employer has a responsibility to act proactively rather than reactively. And this was in response to a submission on behalf of the respondent that had not encountered any issues previously at a Christmas party. So they said um, the employer has to act proactively to identify and safeguard against risks to the health, well-being and safety of the staff. The Christmas party started at one and continued late into the evening. <clears throat> Throughout, unlimited free alcohol was seemingly available to the um, uh, attendees, making alcohol freely available to employees at a party that extends over many hours self-evidently carries risks. Even if it might be suggested that a formal risk assessment would have been disproportionate, it would have been a simple matter for a light touch communication to be issued by the respondent to uh, attendees ahead of the event, encouraging them to enjoy employee themselves, uh, sorry, but also reminding them of the standards of um, behaviour expected of them in our judgment it would have been reasonable to delegate overall responsibility for the event to a senior management and have communicated to attendees in advance who this would be should they have any issues or concerns on the day and that seems pretty solid advice um from the tribunal yeah um, so. I, mean, I mean it's it's obviously a fairly or, or possibly the most extreme example oh. of a you know, bad things happening at a christmas party yeah. that you can possibly um, yeah. imagine and um, I, I, I expect the employee probably looks back on it and think if only we'd have somebody yeah. who was able to take charge or somebody who was able who people were able to go to with their concerns that yeah. day then they might have been able to stop things um, uh, much earlier on so, uh, in, yeah. in the evening but uh, yeah, well, yeah it's easy to say with benefit of hindsight I suppose yeah I mean we all say this, the secret to employment law generally is reasonable and it's it's I think um, 
it would have been reasonable, as the tribunal suggests, to have, have, have if you're going to, well, even if they weren't providing free alcohol, if there was going to be alcohol available, or maybe even, no, I'm saying that to myself, maybe even if there wasn't alcohol available, but, you know, people maybe were letting the guard down because they're outside work. Um, but to do some some kind of, if not a risk assessment, a communication to people, and some people would say, well, you're killjoys then, because, you know, you're getting that kind of free party communication. But, um I'm afraid that's that's just the way it is these days. And yeah. I think I think really, yeah. you know, people there will be some people who will um a who will ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. and no doubt 99% of Christmas parties that year passed off without, without any incident. incident. Yeah. So yeah, it's when things go wrong that things get looked at and, and employers' actions and motivations get get examined more closely. Um and it's uh, you know, you want to be able to. You want to plan on the basis that you might have to defend yourself against what you've done in the face of something going going wrong. So to have those um, sort of proactive measures and also contingency plans yeah. in in place, um, it can really really help reputationally and 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 from a legal liability perspective. Yeah, I would just say as well. I think just in terms of what the tribunal say is that um, um, the tribunal says that Mr. Cox, who was the other site manager who who um, went to Ms. V's aid. They say is to be commended for intervening to protect her and for standing his ground in the face of an aggressive reaction from the site manager. We do not lose sight of the fact that he himself was harassed by the site manager. So, Prius, but then they go on to say, nevertheless, it's equally important to remember that he was not coming to the aid of a stranger in a bar. She was a work colleague, and Mr. Cox was a manager who was under an obligation to uphold and comply with the respondents' health and safety policies, rules, regulations, and working practices. So yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna have any kind of work to do, I think you know, especially if there's alcohol involved, and that's that's parking all the issues about alcohol fuel events being um, ex exclusionary. Is that right? Exclusionary yeah. to yeah. to um, people who don't drink for whatever reason, then there is the risk of of um, behaviour um, which can result in in people being hurt. Never even mind the legal claims and people being hurt. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. So okay. So there you go. So um, that was the podcast. That was the podcast. Um, and we shall see you all. We won't, obviously. Um, you'll hear us all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.